Hey everyone, it's Heather. I know you're here to listen to the podcast, but did you know I also offer all kinds of online consulting services? Stuff like webinars, book studies, curriculum training and consultation, and even companion activities for podcast episodes to use for staff development. If you're interested, you can check out my website at www.thatearlychildhoodnerd.com or you can email me at heather at thatearlychildhoodnerd.com. Thanks for listening. Grab your highlighters. Can't find them? They're probably right there in your pocket protector. It's time for that Early Childhood Nerd Podcast. Let's get nerdy. Here's Heather. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Carol and Liz show. Um, no, it's that early childhood nerd. That's the show. I'm Heather. Um, but I've got Carol Murray, uh, and or Carol Carol Garboden Murray and Liz uh Nolasco here um uh for this show. And um I'm just gonna let them talk because this is a, a topic I don't know very much about. Um, but we have a little Facebook chat group for the nerds, and um Carol and Liz started talking about this topic of dependency labor. Um, a couple of weeks ago and the rest of us in the chat were just like reading their conversation in awe and reverence so <laughs> so now it gets to go out to to everybody um so welcome carol and welcome liz hi hello okay so liz maybe we'll or carol maybe we'll start with just the question what is dependency labor and why did you start the conversation yeah i think the conversation started with the idea of emotional labor liz posted something about emotional labor um there was an article that was talking about women's labor and women being fed up with you know being carrying the burden of sort of all this emotional weight of running a family um this invisible work and That's it started right. this whole conversation about what is emotional labor what is emotional work and then and and then we talked about dependency labor and so the conversation it ha- went in a lot of directions. Uh, yeah, sorry, um, Liz, didn't give you credit for starting it. That's okay. <laughs> I don't it, need extrinsic motivation. It, <laughs> it did go and in praise. a lot of different way different ways, and it was so interesting for me to read um, your conversation, but. Um, you know, I didn't have the background that you both were working off of for the conversation. So can we talk first about then the starting point, that emotional labor article? Um, Liz, could you want to share a little bit about that? Yeah. So I think the reason that it stood out to me and the reason why I brought it to the nerd chat was because it was such an interesting, so the article or the quote from the article that I pulled for the nerd chat that I'm going to greatly abridge here is um, the interviewer asking Hothschild, which Hoth's I hope child. is the name mm-hmm. of the Hothschild, okay, who created the concept of emotional labor. So the interviewer asks, is it emotional labor to manage household Christmas merriment, like Christmas cards, baking cookies, and planning family get-togethers? And Hothschild says, there seems an alienation or disenchantment of acts that normally we associate with the expression of connection, love, and commitment. Um, and then the line that really just hit me was, um, I feel a strong need or like, oh, what a burden it is to pick out gifts for the holidays for my children. I feel a strong need to point out that this isn't inherently an alienating act and something's gone haywire when it is. 
It's okay to feel alienated from the task of making a magical experience for children. I'm not judging that. I'm saying, let's take it as a symptom that something's wrong. Mm-hmm. And so that led to this larger conversation of emotional labor and dependency labor and just the way that those are in, you know, all of our paid and unpaid work lives. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe I, I sort of started this and then got off of it. Maybe we need to do a couple of definitions, um, yeah. uh, just straight definitions of what we're talking about when we talk about emotional labor and dependency labor, because those certainly aren't terms that were in my uh, vocabulary last year at this time. <laughs> yeah. So emotional labor came from, a you know, really people started talking about that in the workforce. So Haas Child was studying sort of manipulating your own motions or being required to act emotionally in a certain way or manipulate the emotions of others at work. She was looking at when we get paid to represent the company, you know, we have to smile, we have to make people feel good, that this kind of labor often is more directed towards women. Um, And then she started like sort of analyzing that kind of expectation in the workplace. And it made me think when I read her studies, it made me think a lot about childcare, right? Um, She was talking even like about airline attendance and saying like, you know, we can say it's manipulative because maybe Delta airline or whoever they're looking at wants people to feel good and wants you to buy a ticket and wants you to fly on their plane and not someone else's plane. But there are also other reasons that that emotional expectation is really important because you have, you're responsible for keeping all these people that are boxed inside of this airplane safe. Right. So there's a really big responsibility to take care of people and make people feel safe and happy when they're flying so that we all land safely (laughs) into the destination where, you know, so there it's more than just manipulative, like, you know, you work for Disney and Disney owns you and you have to make people feel good. And and it's a, it's a, you know, commodification of emotion Mm -hmm. that there is something else that we could look at in terms of sort of our human exchange and the power of emotions. But she was really looking at it in the workforce. And then she talks about, you know, nursing and hospice care and childcare workers and counselors, and just analyzing what, this is just an interesting thing to think about that, mm-hmm. that we are required to have a certain emotional intelligence and we are required to maybe sometimes suppress our own emotions and to make p- other people feel a certain way at work. Mm-hmm. And then and she I actually first, oh, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, I first came to the term as emotional labor actually in personal life. So it was really interesting for me to realize that, oh, this is talking about paid labor. And so I decided to jump in there, but it was no. my first understanding of it was really um, from a differently feminist perspective, I feel like that initial definition is very firmly feminist as well. But my first encounter with it was this really broad definition that Hostile does not seem to necessarily agree with, but understands that it has been taken in this direction mm-hmm. to really all interactions rather than just professional. So I just wanted to jump in and say that. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So she's been saying how it's been a broader concept, especially during the pandemic yeah. with so many women. <laughs> staying home, so many women leaving the workforce, but still managing families and mm-hmm. taking, you know, the, the, the primary responsibility for right. the emotional running of the family. Right. right. So there, she was, I think some people were trying to call it emotional work. 
um, that it's just the normal everyday work that we do as humans when we're caring for our own families and children. Um, and it does fall more on the shoulders of women. And then emotional labor, she was analyzing it more from that perspective of places where we get paid mm-hmm. <laughs> and our emotions come into it and are important. Yeah. <laughs> and you and you look for a certain disposition or temperament for certain um, professions, I guess. So that was what that's what that was about. Mm-hmm. And um, dependency labor, do we want to just go ahead and talk about what that means now? Sure. Use both terms. Yeah. So then we were, I was coming up against the term dependency labor, reading some of the feminist care ethics work, um, and specifically Eva Kate, who has a whole book on, it's called Love's Labor, and it's all about dependency. Mm -hmm. And it was just fascinating to me because she was talking about the varying degrees of dependency labor that, you know, when you're caring for a baby, they depend upon you for their very life. Right. I mean, you, and those of us who care for young children as, as our profession, we know that we are sort of the, the essential workers of the essential workers, right? We are the, we can't walk away from our job. Mm -hmm. We can't, you know, I, I think of the example, like, here on my campus, you know, the president will put out a memo that says we want to honor the workers, you know, meet us for lunch today. We're going to have a potluck, blah, blah, blah. Well, we can't walk out of the childcare center because we're taking care of people. Yeah. Uh-huh. So it's the real dependency. Someone is depending upon me for their very life. I have to have my eyes on these children. I have to be holding the baby. And then someone might be disabled. There might be a disabled person who has all sorts of ability in, but needs someone to, you know, that maybe they don't have uh, use of their limbs, need mm-hmm. someone to help them get on the toilet or need someone to help them, you know, uh, fix their dinner or so different levels of dependency. And she was looking and then elder care and the crisis that the more dependent an individual is, the more ethical their practice needs to be because there's mm-hmm. this asymmetrical relationship where you really have to interpret a lot of their needs mm-hmm. and you have to care for them in a way that is dignified and honoring their worthiness as a human. But she is sort of analyzing how the more dependent a person is, our society tends to think that they're less, right, right less worthy. Yes. And so the people who take care of the babies, the people who, who assist individuals with disabilities, the people who take care of elders are the people who are usually the lowest paid in our society. Mm-hmm. Um, and how does that relate to maybe the way we value individuals because we think of this rugged individualism mm-hmm. as being the mark of worthiness or success in our culture. Right. right. Yeah. Everybody just pull your, pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps, <laughs> not thinking about the ones who need help with their bootstraps <laughs> and this is the physical impossibility of <laughs> lifting yourself up by your own bootstraps. What What are you waiting to say, Liz? Oh, sorry. I had a third of a thought and then it kind of vanished. Just this idea of the care workers being the lowest paid just kind of triggered this um, sense of the dichotomy of, well, yeah, sure, everyone can do it. And also that nobody really wants to do it. Or, you know, certainly not everybody <laughs> wants to do it, right? This idea of anyone can do it. And also I am better than that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I do feel like a lot of our um, sometimes like teacher appreciation efforts and and rhetoric is less about 
you really are important and and the people you're caring for deserve that and more. I'm so glad I don't have to be the one to do that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a good point, Liz, what you're saying about that. The, it's thought of as the work that, that anyone could do. Um, but it might be, I don't know, it might be the hardest, right? Yeah. That, that, that delicate partnership that you need to have with someone when you're, you're there, this, the relationship is asymmetrical, right? Mm-hmm. They are depending upon you for something that the rest of us take for granted or the rest of us think of as a sort of human capacity or human right. They're depending on another, another being. I mean, the dependency that Kate talks about is just acknowledging we are always all dependent upon each mm-hmm. other. Mm-hmm. You know, we are always, and at different times in our life, more dependent upon each other than, than at other points. But even when we think we're independent, we are inter cutly connected dependent i I don't grow my own groceries you know i don't pave the roads i don't you know we need each other i was just thinking about that as i was driving home today because i own a car i know how to drive i have a driver's license but my drive home from work is still completely dependent on a million other factors (laughs) um you know the other drivers the roads being there um uh you know, just the city planning that went into all of this. So maybe not literally a million, but, uh, but, but there's, there is literally nothing that we do without depending in some way on somebody else, either doing or having done. Yes. And there's such a strong American ethic of just like you said, that individualism and that disconnect from our interdependence, this idea of, you know, the children need childcare and the elders need elder care. um, And often the, person who is doing other things and this needs to outsource said care is somehow taken out of the equation is benefiting from these Mm. other people from labor of other people yeah yeah it's interesting from like a relationship or a reciprocal uh perspective too to think about what we get when we care for someone you know you want it to be partnership you want to be reciprocal so she talks about her own child kate had a child with has a child with a severe um, intellectual disability and talking about what, how that child is valued and Mm -hmm. how she had to hire someone to care for her child so that she could then step into the labor force. Mm -hmm. So there's always, there's just all, and so she gets into talking about this triangle between her, her disabled child and this caregiver who comes to live with them and how that, that triangle became sort of a, uh, you know, this triad of, of, of support, of care, of love, all the emotions that, that, that entered into such, uh, such a relationship of dependency, the three of them. And it made me then think about like, when we hire childcare workers, we do expect them to care and love children. Mm -hmm. um, And that, idea of professional love, right? That when we care for children, we fall in love with them. Um, it's such a, it's such an interesting um, thing to think about. And I know some people don't like the word professional love because they think, are we going to start making up a checklist about how we have to love children? You know, this, is <laughs> this is something that can't these be are measured. Our, these are our this, love standards. These are our love standards. Exactly. And <laughs> But I think the reason Jules set calls it professional love is because, again, it's different from the parental love or the family love because you are getting paid to do it. Mm-hmm. 
And there is a, and, the, and like Liz says, it's not something anyone can do. There are, there is, you could make a checklist about how to touch children, how to gaze at children, how to engage children, how to care for children. Um, we don't want to, we don't want to put it on a checklist, but you right. can, <laughs> you can professionalize it if that makes any sense. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think so much of our idea of professionalism, my idea of, of what's professional and what's not is difficult to describe and measure, <laughs> but I know it when I see it, you know, that old, that old phrase, but, um, uh, I don't know. Checklists ruin everything. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So I just, I think it, I don't know. I think there's a lot to think about. Yeah, definitely. And also, I don't know. I was just thinking about with like, oh, there, some of the, the application is to hospice care and some of the um, research that has been done has said, you know, there's different levels of emotions, like almost like an act, like a surface acting where we can learn how to be congenial and responsive to someone. And then there's a deeper way of acting Mm -hmm. when we're caring for someone. And, and the research is saying that that deeper way of entering into authentic exchange and authentic relationship with an individual is the kind of professional behavior Mm -hmm. that, that sustains you because it's an authentic reciprocal exchange you really can be yourself when someone is dying or someone is giving birth or you're caring for a child. You really can. If you can enter into the deeper authentic relationship in that dependency labor, you're less likely to burn out. Yeah. Where if you, if and you, are, yeah. I'm sorry. No, keep going, Carol. You just, like, no, no go, Liz, go. Okay. Um, that was where I got so turned around in my head and sent those walls of text, right? Where it was, well, this is, labor in that we're getting paid but also this is joy and I'm kind of uncomfortable calling these joyful interactions and the best parts of my job yeah labor even though in a very technical sense they are Uh and to be a good parent who is not getting paid who is doing this dependency care work are they also engaging in labor if is labor at home distinct and I think most people would argue yes but also when is it labor when is it being an interdependent human when is it existing (laughs) and I guess that's where I'm still kind of getting around do you think that that stems from just this the general just from capitalism in general like um (laughs) uh you know it it's the difference between work and and fun or work and joy work and happiness all that they need to be like if you're having fun something's wrong (laughs) in in terms of a job um or um you know you should just be you should just love kids enough to do it well all the time even if you feel bad you know even if you don't whatever really like it like I, I feel like there's a lot of um uh puritanical stuff and capitalism stuff yes. in this conversation about, and you can, yeah. about labor and, and love. Yeah, it is. It's so deep and you can see why there's so many cultural wars around childcare, right? Mm-hmm. And, and care in general, because of the place of a woman, the role, the gender roles, mm-hmm. like you said, the mundane of washing dishes or 
feeding a baby isn't supposed to be considered joyful. It's just, you know, the boring stuff, but we can find, we who care can find joy in preparing the meals and in holding the babies and playing with the, the, the children. We find so much joy in that. And, and so, but we're getting paid for it. I know, I know what you're saying. And I go down that like, like work in general, like think about the other service jobs we've done in our lives, or we had other people do, you know, if you're serving food at a restaurant or handing someone their groceries, you feel so much better when that exchange is, is genuine. Mm -hmm. When you, when you have a connection with that person who's setting the food in front of you or handing you the groceries or any kind of service exchange brings us into contact with someone else Mm -hmm. and reminds us of our dependency and remind us, reminds us of our opportunity to be human and to need each other and to appreciate each other. So it's, we can't put work in a hierarchy that some is more important than the other. (laughs) Just, I think when you look at it through the lens of care ethics, you just keep coming back to that human exchange how we're so connected yeah and I wasn't trying to argue with you Liz I just was trying to kind of see where that comes from you know it's sort of like the I think it comes from the same place that says if children are playing they aren't learning like you know if it's not uncomfortable and and controlled then it can't really be meaningful right yeah because I guess the inborn definition in my mind is exactly what you pointed out that I didn't realize is there labor isn't joyful labor can't be joyful whether that's <laughs> at home caring for my child it's at work caring for other people's children yeah, yeah. Um, and right and they feel so distinct because we've been taught that they're supposed to be yeah so one of the things that you mentioned Carol in the um in the email you sent Liz and I yesterday whenever that was was, and you kind of touched on this. Oh, wait, I have to find it again now. You said, um, I also think about care ethics and what it means when we operate with care as a moral code. So you've kind of already talked about that a little bit, but I wanted to hear both of you kind of flesh that out a little bit. What does that mean? What do you want? Yeah. The care is a moral code. Like every time you have an opportunity to care for someone or be cared for, or to enter in the relationship of dependency, even if it's someone pumping your gas, right? Like, (laughs) Do you recognize at that point that this is our human strength or do you strategy or you do, do you have like a hierarchy mm-hmm. as some work being, and, and I think some work being more important than the other, or some work being mundane, or, you know, we all have different gifts and different ways that we serve each other um, if we acknowledge it. But um, I was just thinking also like that, like the, that first wave of, of feminism where all these women went into the workforce and then the people who were caring for their children felt subligated, you know, they felt almost used or stepped upon or, or not seen, still not seen. So this hierarchy of, 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 of work and um, it's just, it's just interesting. I don't have any answers. I'm just thinking about it all. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's cool. pausing for Liz but maybe she isn't gonna go oh no sorry. I just know you won't (laughs) jump in like everyone else jumps in so I've got to pause a little bit um well so so for me I I mean I just thought as you were talking 
even within like a childcare center, traditionally, you know, kind of a traditional classroom where there's a lead teacher and an assistant teacher and a closer. And the, the lead teachers often are seen as having the important work because they're there in the morning when the lesson plan stuff happens. Um, and the others are less than because they're doing most of the care stuff and the diaper changing and the, um, playing while you wait for children to be picked up. And, um, I just, I see this, what, what you guys are both talking about kind of globally, you can see in early childhood settings a lot of times. Yeah. Or yeah. Even around. within our, right. Even within these environments where we would think that that care could be honored and elevated mm-hmm. and really uh, talked about as the essential educational exchange between the adult and the child, even in those environments, there's the hierarchy mm-hmm. or the, or the separation of, yeah. of, of work. separation maybe is a better word. Yeah. For, yeah. Separation. For what I was trying to say. Yeah. 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 And I think when we're looking at caring as an ethical basis it kind of brings you back to this idea that I've sort of always held that we're depriving people of being part of that caring in a lot of ways and a lot of times I think there are so many I mean there's obviously a massive and important distinction to be made between parentifying a child versus Mm -hmm. allowing them to experience the joy of you know giving the younger sibling a bottle or patting their back um but I think that we deprive everybody of this for myriad reasons. There mm-hmm. are just so many, it's just not thought about to begin with, right? As something that people should experience that's good for them to recognize that's helpful for them, right? Yeah. It's good for you to recognize when you're caring for other people. And it's good for you to have those experiences early on and throughout your life to be able to be in a position to care for others mm-hmm. rather than, um, you know, again, this, viewpoint of you're a child your job is to focus on school and get good grades and you know we'll do the dishes you do the soccer team (laughs) those ideas of like this is your job this is my job but they don't get to practice any of it right right yeah yeah because it is often so separated you know and then like you said like you said you do the homework, I'll do the dishes, you know, separating it again in your home life. And and we do that even in like preschool, like the job chart, you know, mm-hmm. making it a job instead of thinking about how we all care for each other and participate right. in all the rituals together right. uh, throughout the day that it almost makes it like, you know, the dirty work. I didn't, I didn't make that mess. I don't want to clean it up. You know, mm-hmm. the kids will say, it's, yep. like, it's yep. your job. You yeah, know, yep, you, need to, sure. you need to show me you're responsive. You're learning <laughs> responsible. Um, it makes me think of when um, my kids were young <clears throat> and we didn't have a whole lot of money, but when we had money, they would get, you know, a little cash for a chore every now and again. And when we didn't, they, I would just tell them, well, this is just for the good of the family. This is just your participation in the family. So they got to the point where like Curtis would be ready to take some trash out to the dumpster. And he's like, all right, is this a money task or a good for the f- good of the family task? And it was such, that was really eye opening for me at the time. Cause I was like, no, this really should just be like, they should have an allowance just for their, you know, they have a right to have property or whatever. Yeah. And the work should maybe just be part of being in the family. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's yeah. so culturally variable. There's beautiful research and I don't know why her name is escaping me. Barbara, I think her last name starts with 
S has done a lot of research in Guatemala and Latin America regarding collaboration and yeah. community care and how children in Latin America are broadly just expected to help out with maintaining the home, for example, mm -hmm. whereas in, in the U.S. we make this distinction between chores and the rest of life. Mm -hmm. And consequently, yeah. children and adults grow to hate chores because that's the thing that someone tells you to do instead of just, this is how I participate in my home. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. So, so can we, we shift over now to talking about, we've, we've touched on it, of course, already, but talking about how these ideas of emotional labor and dependency labor fit the context of early childhood or of childcare programs. Yeah. I think it's just nice. It's nice to have to know people have talked about this and have studied mm -hmm. this. It's, it helps me to, to think about the work as dependency work. Yeah. Because it is different from teaching older children, right? We always say early childhood is unique. And that's one of the things that makes it unique is that we're going to have a more intimate encounter with children because they are they are children mm -hmm. <laughs> and we're going to also have a, a that triangle with their family if we're really thinking about what the purpose of dependency labor mm -hmm. so it to me it gives me more sort of i don't know it makes me feel better about my role in helping the child form a strong attachment and have mental images of their family when they're away and it makes me feel better about my role in experiencing my deep emotions and authentic mm -hmm. interactions with kids. So I think that we haven't always been, a, we've always been so concerned with aligning ourselves as teachers with the educational system, K through 12 or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it helps me step away from that and see it as a kind of a completely different field mm -hmm. with different aims and goals and um, dependency being really at the heart of the philosophy of, of the way that we yeah. can build communities um, for children that are healthy. Yeah. And, and also like Liz said, it's not something anyone can do that we can develop the science and the art of dependency labor. I mean, just to dream about a world where people who were engaged in dependency labor, whether you were supporting a person with a disability or an elder or a, or a baby, that those people would be <laughs> given um you know special uh acknowledgement that we would have a national health care system for all the dependency yes. workers because we are really such the integral infrastructure the strength right. of uh of kind of keeping the world turning yeah. you know yeah. which we during covid it's just it is a different for me it's a different way to think and also to name the emotional labor to recognize that there is a requirement, um, an emotional requirement to do this work well. Mm -hmm. And um, like Liz says, it takes you down that tunnel of, okay, what, what am I getting paid for? What am I, <laughs> what am I doing as a job? What am I doing as a human? Just uh -huh. because I'm a human, what am I doing from joy? And what is it, what is natural? What is intuitive? And what am I learning? I don't know. It's, 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 it's a lot to think about. Yeah. Yeah. It made me kind of think differently about, because I've always been very un uncomfortable with the whole idea of, of parent involvement and family teacher relationships being very focused on the power of the teacher and um, 
the things we need from families for them to prove that they're involved. Um, because for me, then it shifts a little bit. And I think this, this mom, this dad, whoever it is, depends on me to be able to do what they are doing for their own personal fulfillment, to do what they're doing for their customers who need them to do what they're doing, um, uh, for their own family security and health. Uh, and it takes, I'm, I'm always trying to take power out of the relationships. And I think thinking about it through this lens really helps me think of um, an authentic way to really be in community with families and not um, tricking them into engagement, which is what yeah. I feel like a lot of times. Yes. yes. And I think keeping dependency at the center of our, as our framing is so helpful when you have challenging interactions with families, right? Mm, when you yeah. realize that, okay, at the end of the day, we're both responsible in some manner for this small dependent person. And yeah. we both want what's best for this person and their methods might be different than mine. They might not yet trust that I can provide for this person. Mm -hmm. So I really need to put in and the emotional labor to work with that parent to demonstrate, sure. yes, I do care about your child. I am building a relationship with you and your child. Um, and I think kind of from the conversation earlier, right? That's that's why I've noticed that the hard part is really demonstrating to the grown-ups. Yeah. You know, no, this is this is a partnership. I want to work with you. I want to support you. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to be the professional who continually extends the olive branch, smiles and says good morning every day, even if you're not up for it. And just yeah, I, I'm here for you. I'm here for your family. And that's that's what I do. Yeah. It kind of brings you back to that kind of more a, a more natural tribal way of, <laughs> of, of communal way yeah. community way of caring even when you think about the way you want to run an organization like a child care center like oh yeah it's the, the ratio says i can put you alone with four babies but but that's not really humane you know <laughs> for any help. of the five people in that <laughs> These room babies are depending right. upon you and yeah. so you need a you need a relationship with that family you need a relationship with a colleague you need me to walk in mm -hmm. and say hey do you need a breather do you need to go to the bathroom it's like wow the dependency labor is intense yeah. right yeah. And we can't just, we have to build our organizations with that knowing that we need a community, we need each other, we need, you know, we need to acknowledge yeah. the emotional, the emotional labor involved in, in that kind of work is, is, is uh, so important and burnout, no wonder burnout is so high, right? right? Yeah. So how does, how does this idea fit with um, early childhood practitioners being human beings with real feelings who may not always feel like being caring and happy and and uh you know Liz described how she's going to be the one to put on the the happy face with the family that maybe there was conflict with um, yeah how, do, how does that all factor together well program leadership certainly needs to be understanding of that and you know let teachers stay home sick when they're sick or <laughs> yes. take a mental health day when yes. they need a mental health day <clears throat> yeah um first and foremost <laughs> yeah 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 I think that what you we do slip in we do have to some to maybe understanding there is that range of emotions that sometimes we do act on a surface level with children mm -hmm. when we're not completely present or when we're occupied with our own right right um and that if you if we're aware that that there is a range 
of deeper authentic emotion and more surface emotion. And the surface emotion operation, ironically, is what's going to burn us out. Mm-hmm. You know? yes. So maybe it gives us a tool for sort of evaluating um, our health. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Like, I'm not getting the joy anymore. I'm just, I'm just changing 10 diapers in a row and putting on a happy face and I'm not engaging. So this is not healthy work. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, how do we, how do we operate as humans who don't, who have that responsibility to mm-hmm. regulate, help right. the child regulate and feel safe and yeah. And feel the joy and in, in, in their presence, you know, how do we, how do we manage our own emotions? Mm-hmm. I think okay, we do so much of that. Go ahead, Liz. Sorry, my internet cut out. So I think it's such on you. Um, <laughs> I think so much of that has to be programmatic. Has to be thought of from the leadership component of these early childhood programs. You know, I um, I had parents used to laugh at me when I had my classroom because in the morning I'd put on these ridiculous slipper boots that my dad had gotten me years prior. But man, if my feet are comfortable, I'm a much nicer person. I feel more comfortable. <laughs> I put on my Mister Rogers, you know, house shoes yes. and. Yeah. I can step into that and I have that basic, basic, basic creature comfort uh-huh. and I'm able to be human and engage. But I mean, yeah. I realize it doesn't address the core of burnout and the core of right. everything else that really interferes. But I think making these comforts parity, taking your teachers into account when you're scheduling or designing, you know, changing up your program in ways that impact their work-life balance is just critical. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And the dependency labor, the more dependent a child or individual is, the more we need our colleagues too. So there's that dynamic Uh of like the team, the team Mm -hmm. has to be functioning well. So if you have a a baby room and you have three adults working in there, that's three adult personalities and all those babies separating and crying and sleeping and Mm -hmm. pooping at different schedules. I mean, that is an intense, uh, an intense ask. Of yeah, intense. I can say with 100% truthfulness that most of my stressed out days when I was working directly with children came from uh, co-worker mismatches and very rarely about the children or anything that was happen- happening with the children. It was usually either creature comforts or some sort of issue uh, between adults in the space. That seems like a management issue too, for our field. Like, you know, really it is, it is important how people, you're not going to love everyone you work with, but there, there, we need to have some strategies for building strong teams and allowing personality matches. Sometimes you do have a personality match Mm -hmm. with someone who you can collaborate with better than someone else. Um, It's, it's, it is, it is important. Yeah. I should fully also acknowledge that I was probably the the source of a lot of stress for (laughs) other adults in the space. We were probably all in a big circle of stressing each other out. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry. Um, What else? Anything else? I, I feel like we've covered a lot. Um, but I don't want to cut it short if there's more. Yeah, I think it's a lot to think about. I know I'll I'll think of something after we get off. Right, and then we'll just plan another episode (laughs) about it. Um, Yeah, that's no problem at all. I was glad Liz brought it up. Like, what is emotional work? What is emotional labor? And 
and like it it, it doesn't it just it's becoming like a catchphrase right uh-huh. and i don't think the way it's always being used is helpful to right. us like so many catchphrases and buzzwords right? yeah 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 well i i mean i appreciate both of you having that conversation and i know the rest of us were just kind of looking on in the group um i don't know if you've noticed <laughs> i don't feel up to a lot of brainy stuff in the chat so i'm mostly posting memes these days <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I, it was, it was so interesting, um, to go back, you know, and and look at them again and look at that conversation again and, and see how, um, how you all were processing that. So this has been, um, a good, just a good topic for me in terms of being a learner and in terms of being a nerd. Uh, so thank you both. Me too. Thank you for, yeah. Thank you for talking through, talking we'll have to keep thinking about it. Yeah. As Liz sits in sunny California while I'm in my flannel nightgown in <laughs> freezing Indiana. And I'm getting ready for a storm here in hey, I'm wearing New York. A coat. Yeah. Oh yeah. New York's about to be hit. Actually, I yeah. sort of wish we were getting a storm. Oh. We're just getting drizzle and cold. Mm. Um, so anyway, thank you for being here. <laughs> Take and thanks care, everyone, everyone for listening. Um, come back again for another episode of That Early Childhood Nerd. And that's the show. Now go get your nerd on. has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh.